Fakalofala Hiatu. Kiorana. Juan in Malo Elele. Dobre doidovte. Kiora. You're listening to an Auckland Libraries podcast, bringing you the best from Auckland Libraries audio collection. Don't forget to click the follow us button on SoundCloud to make sure you can catch up on all our author talks, events, concerts, and more. This podcast is from our ever popular Heritage Talk series, the best of local and family history from Aotearoa, the Pacific, and beyond. No my hi Today's talk was given by Heritage researcher Marguerite Hill on Wednesday, the 25th of May, 2022, and focuses on the work of American architect Roy Lippincott during his stay in New Zealand in the 1920s and 30s. It includes discussion on his designs for the farmer's tea rooms, a six-storey extension to Smith & Coey department store, the arts building at the University of Auckland, as well as some of Auckland's elite private residences. You can check out some of the digital content mentioned in today's presentation by following the links in the description. But for now, sit back and prepare yourself as we turn the clock back to the beginning of the Jazz Age. Um, kia ora koutou. My name is Marguerite Hill and I'm Heritage Researcher at Auckland Council. Um, today we're going to look at the work of Roy Elston Lippincott, an American architect whose designs influenced Auckland's cityscape, especially at the University of Auckland and in the central city. He created residences for some of Auckland's business elite, the foundation buildings for Massey University in Palmerston North and St. Peter's School in Cambridge. His work was characterised by attention to detail and ornate decorative elements which were often inspired by the country that he found himself in. I found, uh, I've researched some of these places as part of my role in improving the information Auckland Council holds about scheduled historic heritage places in Auckland. Many of the places we will look at today are scheduled under the Auckland Unitary Plan and are recognised by Pohuri Taonga Heritage New Zealand. We will begin with the reason that Lippincott came to New Zealand, the arts building. In 1920, American architect Roy Lippincott and his Australian colleague Edward Fielder Bilson won an architectural competition to design Auckland University College's new arts building. The pair were working in Australia for Walter Burley Griffin and Marion Mahoney Griffin, who were designing the new Australian capital of Canberra. The Auckland judges unanimously chose their design from over 40 others. While Auckland University College had been established in 1882, the university role was initially small, with only 156 students in 1901 and 580 by 1914. The new arts building was the first building constructed specifically for the university, so this was an important commission. In 1921, Lippincott moved to Auckland to oversee the work, which was completed in 1926. He brought his wife Genevieve and their three daughters. His partner Bilson also spent time in Auckland, but returned to Melbourne when his father died. Their partnership was dissolved in 1926, once the art building was completed and Bilson went on to have a successful career in Australia. While the clock tower often gets all of the attention, the arts block also included the library, separate male and female student common rooms, lecture theatres and staff offices. This is a rear view and shows the ancillary building Lippincott and Bilson designed in 1921. The arts building was constructed by Fletchers. 
The style of the building is often described as collegiate Gothic, a style popular in both American and Australian and British universities. The clock tower is ornate and organic in form, and University of Auckland Emeritus Architecture Professor Errol Harhoff describes it as Art Nouveau. The clock tower is made from reinforced concrete, while other parts of the building are Mount Summers stone, which is highly textured. Lippincott and Bilson were inspired by local flora and fauna, and instead of the more traditional oak leaves and eagles you might expect to see in a university overseas, here they incorporated carved flax pods, ponga fronds, and native birds. The interior of the building is Omaru stone. It's a truly beautiful space, and I'd recommend a visit. There are regular heritage tours, as well as a university heritage trail you can follow yourself. These mosaic tiles were imported from England and contribute to the floral and natural motifs found throughout the building. The image on the right is the underside of the clock tower. Lippincott and Bilson may have won the design competition, but they had to contend with criticism of their design. Central government was paying for the building and government architect John Mayer had a number of concerns. Mayer preferred a more simple and English treatment of the tower and felt that the tower was not in harmony with our national character. At one point, he wanted the tower removed from the plan altogether to save money. A letter to the New Zealand Herald described it as an architectural monstrosity inflicted upon the people of Auckland. Poet Rex Fairburn even suggested that the tower would scare old ladies in Albert Park. It's very likely that some of these comments were actually sour grapes. A significant design competition had been won by a young American and Australian architects rather than New Zealanders or even British ones. The Australian Building Magazine, which was a great critic of Lippincott's boss and by now brother-in-law, Walter Burley Griffin, described the building as freak architecture, running an article that was picked up at the New Zealand Herald. They wrote that the laws of architectural balance and proportion are entirely ignored in the building and that the design was disgraceful and akin to a wedding cake. Fortunately, Lippincott and Bilson had the support of the university, and particularly George Folds, former Minister of Education and the President of Auckland University College, who dealt with many of their criticisms from officials. Lippincott and Bilson responded mildly, by turning to nature as we hope, quote, by turning to nature as we find her in this fascinating land for the inspiration of our details, they hope to erect a tower that is not British, but that truly belongs to Auckland. Later, Lippincott reflected on the Ferrari and stated, there have been many criticisms of the tower, but people always criticize something they don't understand. The tower is something new and criticism has been leveled against it because people could not place it. The building has now become an iconic university building. In his history of the university, Keith Sinclair wrote that students loved the building and that membership of university clubs increased when they were housed there. The University of Auckland has put together a great video about the arts block, um, which you can find on their website. It's hosted by architectural historian Julia Gatley. Despite the initial controversy, the arts building gave Lippincott the profile to establish his own private practice in Auckland in 1925. He became an associate of the New Zealand Institute of Architects in 1922 and a fellow in 1924. Now let's take a closer look at Roy Lippincott himself. Roy Elston Lippincott was born in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania in 1885. 
He was raised in Quaker circles and studied architecture at Cornell University in New York, graduating in 1909. His college yearbook notes that his nickname was Lippy and that he wanted to be an artist and to live the simple life. In 1909, Lippincott moved to Chicago to try and get a job with architect Dwight Perkins. Unable to employ him, he instead found Lippincott a position with Von Holst and Fife, which had taken over Frank Lloyd Wright's practice. Lippincott worked on several of Wright's projects after Wright had absconded to Europe in 1909, including Robbie House. There he worked closely with Marion Mahoney, the first woman to graduate in architecture from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, who had worked with Wright for almost 15 years. In 1913, Lippincott became chief draftsman to Walter Burley Griffin and Marion, who had by now married. Griffin had won the competition to design the new Australian capital of Canberra, and both Lippincott and Mahoney had worked on plans and renders for the Canberra competition. In 1914, Lippincott and his new wife Genevieve, who was Walter Burley Griffin's sister, moved with the Griffins to Australia. Lippincott managed the office in Melbourne, while the Griffins worked in Canberra. Lippincott designed and built a home for his family in Melbourne, which still stands today, and this is a wee architectural model of the house. He and Genevieve had three daughters, Alston, 19, who was born in 1915, Margaret in 1919, and Karen in 1920. Lippincott worked on other projects, including the Cafe Australia and Newman College at the University of Melbourne with Griffin, and projects of his own too. He also worked in town planning, including at Griffith and Leeston in New South Wales. Um, this is just an example of one of Lippincott's drawings. This is actually of um, Walter Billy Griffin and Marion's house. After winning the competition for the Arts Building, Lippincott and his family moved to Auckland and remained here until 1913. Lippincott had offices in the New Zealand Insurance Building on Queen Street, uh, Yorkshire House, which is also called the General Buildings in Shortland Street, and at 10 High Street, which is now the um, Lipiaki Shoe Shop. He trained architects in his office, including Horace Massey and Lewis Walker. Lippincott involved himself with the local architectural scene, sitting on the National Council of the New Zealand Institute of Architects, known as the NZIA, from 1924 to 1930, and again in 1933. He was the vice chair and then the chair of the Auckland branch of the NZIA from 1929 to 1932. From 1932 to 4, he was a member of the Government Committee on Earthquake Resisting Construction, convened after the devastation of the Hawke's Bay earthquake in 1931. He had an ongoing interest in earthquake resisting technology and on the different and decorative uses of concrete in architecture. While living in New Zealand, he continued to enter international competitions, including for the Chicago Tribune Building with Bilson, the Sydney Law Courts and the Nebraska State Capitol Building. On a personal level, he was involved with arts organisations and was a member of the Society of Arts, the Little Theatre and the Coin Club. In 1931, he was introduced to Anthroposophy by Walter Burley Griffin. Anthroposophy is a spiritualist movement founded by Rudolf Steiner, and it went on to influence both him and his daughter, Alston. The depression of the 1930s was a difficult time for him as client spending dried up. He closed his offices in 1931 and worked from home. Genevieve started a catering business to help make ends meet. 
Lippincott's work was influenced by Frank Lloyd Wright's Prairie School, particularly in his residential buildings, although his work is considered more conventional than Wright's. Lippincott's residential buildings often had strong horizontal lines and low gabled roofs. His time with Walter Burley Griffin and Marion Mahoney Griffin also influenced his work, especially in his use of indigenous flora and fauna in his detailing. Many of his commercial buildings show the influence of the Chicago School, Art Deco and Spanish Mission styles. One of Lippicott's trademarks was intricate repetitive motifs of great beauty and sometimes whimsy, usually achieved with cast or carved concrete. Some of Lippincott's best-known work was for the University of Auckland. He was employed as the university's architect during the 1920s and 1930s, a time of anticipated growth for the university, which was unfortunately curtailed by the Great Depression. When Lippincott and Bilson submitted their design for the arts block, they also contributed a master plan for the design of the university campus between Princes and Simon Street, Alfred Street and Waterloo Quadrant. The master plan supported the arts building with a cohesive vision which included further stone buildings, landscaping and native flowering plants. The buildings that Lippincott designed for the university in the 1920s and the 1930s were designed to be part of the same family, sharing design elements such as faceted pilasters, arched windows, piers and massed openings. His other buildings mimicked the Mount Summerstone of the Arts Building with cream-coloured render over brick or concrete. Let's have a look at his other University of Auckland buildings. The first is the Caretaker's Cottage, which, not surprisingly, was built for the Auckland University College's caretaker. He provided security and maintained the university's extensive grounds, native plantings and sports fields. The cottage was planned for some years before it was finally built. Lippincott and Bilson submitted drawings for a cottage in 1924, but these were considered too grand and were not accepted. By 1928, security issues were perhaps coming to a head, with George Folds, chairman of the University Council, stating that there were all sorts of characters about at night and that an on-site caretaker was required for security. The plan that did eventually... The plan that, which did eventuate was for a less ornate and much smaller cottage, which was designed in 1928. The cottage was built by Renewera builder John Robert Simpson and completed in July 1930 at a cost of about £1,700. The cottage is constructed of rendered brick with a Marseille tile roof. It has, had, it has a distinctive narrow rectangular windows, a Juliet balcony and a substantial and sculptural chimney. The building is closely associated with the Thomas Building, very closely, as you can see from this photo. When the Thomas Building was built in 1968, the caretaker's cottage was altered to make room for it. A dormer window was removed and some of the cottage was cut back at the same time. Both buildings are now used by the School of Biological Sciences at the university. Lippincott also made alterations to existing university buildings. One of these was the Old Coral Hall, a building with a long and fascinating history, which I sadly don't have time to talk about today. The Old Coral Hall was leased by the university and then eventually purchased. Extensions were added in 1919 and again in 1925 and were used by the university's science departments. Lippincott was responsible for the sympathetic 1925 edition of the Northwest Wing, which is unfortunately the furthest away in this photograph 
and, and as the university architect, he had the portico removed from the building for safety reasons after the 1931 Hawke's Bay earthquake. Now let's look at the biology building, which was Lippincott's final commission for the university. Lippincott and his chief draftsman, Martin William Hutchinson, designed the biology building in 1936. Instead of the hoped-for stone building to match the new arts block, the biology building was constructed of concrete. The university would have preferred a stone building, as this was perceived to be dignified and appropriate, and to express the character of an institution of high learning and of monumental buildings which were to endure for a long time, but the budget would not allow for it. The new biology building was developed because of overcrowding and inadequate accommodation in the old coal hall. The new building had laboratories, lecture theatres and a museum. The building was designed for flexible use with timber and acoustic fibreboard partitioning which could be easily removed if needs changed. There was specialised air conditioning to protect both specimens and humans. Peter Fraser, Minister of Education, laid the foundation stone for the building on 13th of December 1937. Instead of the usual ceremonial silver trowel, Lippincott presented Fraser with two antique books by John Milton. Lippincott stated this was because education required both art and science, new things and old. The structural engineer for the building was S. Irwin Crooks Jr., who had a long career in the School of Architecture at the University of Auckland. Construction was again undertaken by Fletchers, which had often worked with Lippincott and with the university. The building was officially opened on the 27th of February 1939 by Peter Fraser, and the building cost between 37 and 40,000 pounds. The building contains some lovely decorative elements, including columns, doorway features, arched windows, and decorative window glazing and joinery. Lippincott repeated or referred to motifs from the arts building in this new building. The faces of the columns in the biology building are splayed as they are on the clock tower. There are arched windows and piers in both buildings. Another delightful feature are the charming brass kauri snails, which wing their way up the balustrades of the main staircases. The snails were designed by sculptor Richard Gross, who also designed the famous athlete at the Auckland Domain, and with whom Lippincott worked several times. At around 2000, 100 replicas of the, of sna the snails were cast and sold as a fundraiser, and one of the, the little chap on the right is one of those fundraising snails. As well as the university buildings, Lippincott was busy with major commercial commissions, so let's take a look at a couple of those. The Lippincott Tower is a six-storey addition to Smith & Coe's existing department store buildings, which opened in 1929. Smith & Coe is Auckland's oldest surviving department store. Started by Marianne Smith, Nee Coe in 1880, it shifted to its current location on Queen Street in 1884. In 1910, an extension designed by Edward Marnie, which faced Elliott Street, was constructed. When Fuller's Opera House burnt down, Smith & Coe took the opportunity to expand on the Elliott and Wellesley Street corner. The resulting Lippincott Tower accommodated Smith & Coe's store, as well as private tenants and the Auckland branch of the Lyceum Club. The Lippincott Tower was originally designed to be six storeys, it's now seven, and is an example of the Chicago style. 
The building has eye-catching exterior details, particularly on the ground and top floors, and pilasters which extend beyond the parapet to draw the eye upwards, which is known as loftiness. The building is constructed of reinforced tinted concrete with bronze spandrels and joinery to the ground floor windows. Lippincott has used floral motifs as well as geometric designs on the exterior and incorporated lotus leaves and owls in the interior. The building was again constructed by Fletcher's at a cost of precisely £54,751. The sixth floor of the building was designed specifically for the use of the Auckland Lyceum Club, with Lippincott designing the furniture for the club. The Auckland branch of the Lyceum Club was formed in 1919 for women of intellect and ability. The sixth floor included a library, dining room, card room, meeting rooms and an auditorium. The Auckland branch of the club leased the premises until the 1990s when it closed due to declining numbers. A seventh floor was later added and is set back from the Lippincott facade with a flat roof and decoration on the underside of it, which you can see quite well here. Lippincott was also employed by Smith & Coe's to design an upgrade of their new market branch as well as a facade to unify the Queen Street elevation in 1940. Another commercial commission, the Burleigh employed Lippincott to design their new factory at the corner of Wellesley and Nelson Streets in 1930. While Burleigh is an Australian company, it is a familiar brand to many New Zealanders. First sold in New Zealand through Milne & Choice, an Auckland branch was established in 1923, and Stanley S. Scott, remember that name, became the general manager for the New Zealand branch in 1925. The factory building is three stories tall and was designed to capture as much natural light as possible for the machinists and other staff. A successful business, which was apparently very good to their staff, a large three-story extension was added to the factory in 1941 after Lippincott had left New Zealand. Architect Dave Pearson notes that the building has elements of the Chicago style as shown by the hierarchy of the facade, as well as, as well as pilasters, which again draw your eyes upward. There are also modern and art deco aspects, especially in the window design and decorative elements. The building has a reinforced concrete frame with a rendered brick exterior. The main building, main entrance of the building is particularly elaborate with art deco, deco style chevrons and a canopy. I'm a fan of Lippincott's detailed window joinery, and you can see examples of that here. In September 1930, the Farmers, grand and glorious new tea rooms, opened at their Hobson Street flagship store. The opening advertisement proclaimed the dignity and refinement of the design, drawing attention to the arched beam ceiling tinted in shades of cream, green, and salmon. The walls were finished in precast stone and terrazzo tiles. There were 24 large windows to admire the city views, as well as two fireplaces and those lovely hanging um, lights that you can see there. This was all designed by Lippincott, who according to this advertisement, supervised its entire construction. Lippincott was also hired to give the facade of the farmer's building a new look, creating the sleek lines that we see today. The tea rooms were recently converted to an apartment and featured on an episode of the New Zealand Grand Designs. Now hopefully we can take a look, closer look at some of these designs with 
sorry, folks might give up on that. It obviously interfered with everything. But as Shona has said, they're going to put the link in um, the chat and um, you're able to go into a little 3D viewer and actually have a look at the details that um, have been incorporated into the apartment conversion uh, in that in the old farmer's building. And it's quite fun. You can um, you can zoom around and enjoy the um, the decorative details in the windows. So sorry about that diversion. Um, next, we're going to look at Lippincott's institutional work outside of Auckland. So Lippincott had clearly survived the controversy over the Auckland University College and was selected as the architect for the new Massey Agricultural College established in 1927. The college opened on the 2nd of March 1928 with a role of 85 students. Uh, this is Lippincott's site plan for the new, co new college in Palmerston North, um, which didn't quite come to um, fruition as he planned. Former university, Massey University librarian and archivist Lucy Marsden has written about Lippincott's work at Massey, and much of the following comes from her article in the Manawatu Journal of History. Lippincott presented three preliminary plans for the new buildings in March 1927. The first three buildings were a dairy factory, a refectory, and a building for teaching and research referred to then as the science building, was later called the main building, and is now known as the Perrin building. He also designed several farm cottages. His works for Massey were in the Spanish mission or mission revival style. Lippincott secured the Massey work through Sir George Folds, chairman of Auckland University Council, who was also the chairman of the new Massey Agricultural College. Lippincott spent three months looking at agricultural colleges in the USA and Canada in preparation for the contract. Lippincott's dairy factory is described by Marsden as a very functional single-storey building. It was designed in Frank Lloyd Wright's American prairie style with a strong horizontal lines, wide eaves, brick cladding inside, and a hipped roof, and the ventilator on the uh, right-hand side provides a strong vertical element. But even for something as prosaic as a dairy factory, Lippincott couldn't resist adding details like this cast concrete motif, which appears to be a stylized design for Manaro carving. The next building was the refectory, which included a hall, servery, kitchen, staff dining room, games room, stores, common room, and staff quarters. This building is in the Spanish mission style, with a tile roof and a decorative circular window finishes, including that prominent oriel window. You'd be pleased to know that it has been since been um, rescued from all of that ivy, and you can actually see the detail of the building nowadays. Again, Lippincott has utilized Mari motifs in the interior plaster modeling um, I hope you can see my mouse, just along the top, um, the, the ceiling beams, there is a repeated pattern. Um, this is the university student's common room, and it looks quite nice to me. Um, you can see some examples of Lippincott's furniture, particularly the chairs and tables on the left-hand side. The third building was the science building, now known as the Perrin building. These plans were completed in 1929. They included offices, lecture rooms, 12 laboratories, and the university library. 
much like the biology buildings at the Auckland University College, designing laboratory fittings and ventilation was an important part of this job. The building is clad in rough cast render made from different New Zealand marbles. And we have the usual, oh actually, we have the usual beautiful details. Um, this is the main entrance doors from inside and um, I just really love the, the beautiful geometric shapes. Um, the building has recently been restored and um, these, this basically has been retained in its original condition. Also snuggling into the moulding of the Perrin building, you will find owls, perhaps a moorpork, not quite sure, and kiwi. Lippincott's designs for Massey University in Palmerston North have in turn influenced the architectural style of the Massey Albany campus, which has continued the Spanish mission aesthetic that Lippincott created. The second of Lippincott's large projects outside of Auckland was the design for St. Peter's School in Cambridge. This contract kept Lippincott afloat during the Depression and allowed him to reopen his offices. St. Peter's School began as an Anglican boys' school in 1936. Founder Arthur Broadhurst established a modern preparatory school complete with a 90-acre farm. He wanted the school atmosphere to be like an English country estate, and Lippincott delivered these goals. Lippincott created the chapel, main administration block, dining room, classroom, gym, dormitories, and staff living room. Part of his design brief was to retain the existing trees. Lippincott's first design for the chapel was concrete, with sloping casements and recessed windows. This was not approved, and a more traditional timber chapel was built. Architectural historian Anne McEwen notes that for the chapel, Lippincott was influenced by 19th century New Zealand architects, such as Frederick Thatcher and Benjamin Mountfort. The foundation buildings are quite different to Lippincott's usual designs. For one thing, timber is the predominant material rather than concrete, although there are some concrete in masonry buildings, and the buildings are most definitely English cottage or English bungalow in style. Despite Broadhurst's generosity, the work was occurring during a major economic depression, and so budget was a consideration. This constraint led to simplicity of design. Exposed timber work, like you can see in the chapel, and leaded windows were the main ornamentation. The dining room has an impressive exposed timber ceiling straight out of Harry Potter. An article from 1937 notes that at least one of the buildings did double duty. The gym was also the assembly hall. The school opened on the 22nd of February 1936 with over 800 guests invited, including Peter Fraser again. We are lucky enough to have film of the opening of the school, which gives us a glimpse of Roy Lippincott giving a speech. The video is online at Natawa Sound and Vision if you would like to watch it. There are several further connections between the Lippincotts and St. Peter's School. Roy's daughter, Alston, was an art teacher there during the war years, and one of the schoolhouses is still called Lippincott. Roy Lippincott also designed houses for many of Auckland's leading business people and their families. His work during the 1920s and 1930s is a who's who of Auckland businesses. The wife of Robert Laidlaw of Farmer's Department Store, Bronette Pykel, a daughter of the Pykel family of Fisher and Pykel, and James Fletcher of Fletcher Construction. While a few of his houses have been lost or shifted from their original sites, many of these residences remain today. 
Some have been altered, but they can still be found around the grand suburbs of Rimuera, Hearn Bay and Odake. Architectural historians tend to describe Lippincott's residential work as more conventional than his commercial designs, while, his, while real estate agents tend to use the words gracious living. We will begin with the house that Lippincott built for his own family at 701 Remuera Road. It was built in 1920, designed in 1927 and is very upright in style. It is thickly rendered with stucco and has a Marseille tile roof. You can see some of his trademarks in the treatment of the balustrades and perhaps that window at the top of the stairs. Um, these lovely geometric designs within the balustrades, which you can hopefully see. Evidently, it has a spectacular view of the city. Lippincott closed his city office in 1931 due to the deepening economic depression and worked from home in the wood-panelled study, which he called his studio, um, in advertisements. In 1927, Lippincott sold a portion of his land to L.W. Swan, owner of the Peter Pan Cabaret. The sale was on the condition that Lippincott got to design the resulting house, which he did in 1935. However, Swan House has since been moved. The Lippincotts also had a cottage on Quinns Road, Waitakere, but I haven't yet had a chance to look into this very much um, and to find out whether it still stands or whether it's been incorporated into another building. Apparently, the Lippincotts built it themselves. Also on Remuera Road is the house Lippincott designed for H.M. Smeaton in 1937. Smeaton was an Auckland grocer who employed about 65 staff by the early 20th century. He was also a member of the Auckland City Council and the Harbour Board and was a dedicated Baptist. However, Smeaton died just six months after the building permit was attained for this property and the house was later owned by Harold Eric Barraclough, a, former a future Chief Justice, and then Dr Patrick Moore, an ear, nose and throat specialist. This residence is not Lippincott's usual rendered masonry and concrete and appears to be brick and shingle. The roof form is pretty spectacular, as you can see, and is said to be influenced by Walter Burley Griffin's aesthetic. Another significant Auckland businessman, Sir James Fletcher, chose Lippincott to design his home at 21 Upland Road in 1927. Lippincott worked with Fletcher's on numerous large projects that we've seen. This house is described as one of Lippincott's most formal, with a central staircase and hallway with beautiful wood panelling, as you can see, from which the living areas extend. The building is constructed of double skin brick and is almost symmetrical in design. The house stayed in the Fletcher family with James Fletcher Jr. and his wife Marjorie living there with Sir James and Lady Fletcher. And the house has actually only had four owners in almost a hundred years. I think James Fletcher choosing Lippincott to design his own home from all the other architects he would have worked with is a strong endorsement of Lippincott's skills and reputation within the industry. The Mont Le Grand Flats on Dominion Road are unusual for Lippincott as they are a multi-dwelling residence. There is another business connection here. This property was designed for Harold Perkins, son of E.A. Perkins, whose house we will see shortly. There's another connection too. The builder was Noel Cole, who worked with Lippincott on the Burley factory. The flats are arranged around a central courtyard, which you can see on this plan sheet and they have a hipped Marseille roof 
and a rendered finish. Lippincott also uses tinted con concrete for the exterior steps, something he had used in the Smith and Coe Tower. The flats have been much altered, but apparently some of Lippincott's details can still be found. This residence was commissioned for Bronette Pykel, who is associated with the Pykel family of Fisher and Pykel. I'm not entirely sure how she fits into the family, so if anybody out there knows, please do let me know. Uh, the plans were completed on the 11th of February 1930, and Bronette married Max Levy just 10 days later. The plans show us that Bronette and Max must have enjoyed entertaining. Guests would arrive at a port cochere, work through, walk through a porch and a hallway, and then to the reception rooms. There was a large dining room, living room and terrace for entertaining, as well as a maid's room, kitchen and laundry on the ground floor. Upstairs were two bedrooms, one with large wardrobes, a sleep-out balcony, which was quite common at the time, a sun porch and a bathroom. The house has Lebanese cedar weatherboards with, and a Marseille tile roof. It was later used as a small public hospital, uh, sorry, a small private hospital with patient rooms added to the back. And um, it once had a very important neighbour. Uh, it's right next door to uh, the mansion that was owned by Sir John Key, former Prime Minister. The plans for this place were signed um, with the initials LMW, which may well have been Lewis Walker, who worked for Lippincott and for Fletcher's, and went on to found Walker Architects. For our sixth residence, we have another business connection. Laidlaw House was designed by Lippincott in about 1935 for Mary Allen Laidlaw. Mary was the stepmother of Robert Laidlaw, one of the founders of Farmers Department Stores, which had recently employed Lippincott for their tea rooms. Mary married Robert's father in about 1934, so this may well have been their marital home. I don't have a photo of this place, as it is exceptionally private with a stunning sea view. It is on Marine Parade, Hearn Bay. Scott House was commissioned by another repeat customer, Stanley S. Scott and his wife. Scott was the general manager of Burleigh. Uh, Lippincott had designed the Burleigh factory about five years earlier. The house featured in Home and Building magazine in 1938, where it is described as having glorious views and a strong horizontal design. Constructed with warm coloured brick, the house has a low pitched roof and, quote, echoes the soft rounded masses of the hill on which it stands. Scott House was later purchased by Gordon Pollock of the Drapery Empire Barker and Pollock, and it remained in the Pollock family until it was sold in 2012. Anne McEwen describes this as Lippincott's most Frank Lloyd Wright-influenced house. It is most closely aligned with the prairie style in its form, hipped roof and windows. Our final residence was designed by Lippincott in 1937. The Perkins House on Paratai Drive was designed for Ernest Actually Perkins, an auctioneer who had rooms at the old city markets, now Aotea Square. And this isn't the first time we've heard the Perkins name. The Mont-Legrand flats were designed for um, Harold Perkins, who is Ernest's son. This house has an Art Deco flavour and features curving balconies and a grand entranceway. Now, getting to the end of the talk, um, it's time for something a bit different. 
On the 25th of October 1928, the E.W. Ellison clock in Devonport was formally unveiled. The Ellison family were a Devonport family of long standing, arriving in 1854 and becoming involved in shipbuilding and especially harbour ferries. Ewan Wilson Ellison had established the Devonport, the Devonport Steam Ferry Company, had been Devonport's mayor and also served on the Legislative Council. The clock's graceful concrete column was designed by Lippincott and constructed by Messieurs de Mont Limited. If you've ever caught a ferry from Devonport, you've probably double-checked the time on this clock, which still stands today. Lippincott's last work in New Zealand was a new facade for the Queen Street elevation of Smith & Coe. The intention was to create a cohesive front for the store, um, and, it's, and it's constructed of precast concrete in an Art Deco style. In 1939, Roy, Genevieve and their daughter Margaret travelled to England, probably seeking medical treatment for Genevieve. On their way back to New Zealand, war was declared and they transferred to a ship to New York. Instead of returning to New Zealand as planned, they remained in the United States due to Genevieve, Genevieve's health and they settled in California. Roy Lippincott briefly returned to Auckland in 1940 to close his office, fully expecting to return to his practice after the war. Unfortunately for Lippincott and for us, his work archive was lost when the ship Niagara was struck by mines near Northland. Now settled in California, Lippincott joined the firm of Gordon B. Kaufman in 1942, managing the business while Kaufman was serving in the Second World War. In 1945, he entered a partnership with Kaufman and Eggers. One of his projects there was the Honoid Library, a university library in Claremont, California, which still stands. He worked in private practice from 1947, picking up contracts with the United States Navy and Shell Oil, including offices and laboratories and residential buildings. He was appointed to the Commission of Anglican Church Architecture in 1949 for Los Angeles. He also designed banks, factories, a musicians club, several churches and his own home in Santa Barbara. And this is his home today. It's in a, um, a gated suburb called Hope Ranch, and it has a pretty beautiful view from the other side. He retired in 1964 and died aged 83 on the 28th of April, 1969. I thought we would um, conclude the talk with um, some of the beautiful furniture and fixtures and fittings that he designed for his building. So uh, this is a bit of an appreciation of his um, furniture design. 2,200 of his chairs were produced for the Auckland University College, as well as desks, specimen cases and museum cabinets. Te Papatongarewa um, Museum of New Zealand has several chairs from the University of Auckland Arts Block in its collection, and Auckland War Memorial Museum has chairs he designed for the Lyceum Club. Here we have several laboratories at the Massey Agricultural College showing chairs, stools and lab tables. He, often, he also designed some lovely library furniture and museum cabinets for Massey. And finally, if you ever visit the University of Auckland Special Collections Reading Room, you'll find yourself sitting on a Lippincott chair like these ones, as I did a few weeks ago when I was researching my talk. 
I would like to thank Sarah Cox and her colleagues at the University of Auckland Special Collections for all of their help. There is a wealth of research about Lippincott out there, including Lucy Marsden's article about his work at Massey, and also the publication from the 2004 um, exhibition, The Architect of the Tower, which was held at Auckland War Memorial Museum. Remuera Heritage also documents their local Lippincott residences, and there is an NZIA Lippincott Heritage Trail you could take uh, try yourself. Um, there have also been several theses written about Lippincott um, by Sandra Faulkner, Alec Bruce, and others, and also a wonderful collection of archival material that was put together by Vincent Torini. Thanks for listening to today's Heritage Talk. If you enjoyed it, help us spread the word by telling anyone you can, any way you can. And remember, you can always register to attend one of our talks in person or online by going to our website, www.aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and clicking on Heritage Family and Local History Events. To check out more exciting content from Auckland Libraries, head on over to our YouTube channel or Facebook page. Until next time, mate wa.